This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. All right, y'all. It's a breaking normal day right now because I'm about to introduce someone named Kyle Kingsbury, who's much more than his name, obviously, as you are, and much more than what he does, as you are as well. But what I will say about him, he may be competing. He, I may have found someone that I could judge to be more transparent than me, potentially. We... This is the most we've time we've spent together on this podcast thus far, so we still have a lot to get to know each other. But man, this is a good one. I'm judging this may be the best one. And I say that not only because I believe it could be true, but also because I believe it only gets better. So I trust every podcast we're bringing you is only getting better and better. And I would really love to hear from y'all um, with your feedback, actually, on the review r- section of iTunes podcast, because that's definitely reverent to the gods of the internet known as algorithms, and it can easily amplify the Breaking Normal message to more people. So if you believe the secret to living is giving, and you affirm people that are willing to ask for what they want without getting it, I'm asking you to go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast now, and let us know what's coming up for you. Because I have a feeling this one's going to bring up a lot. And at the end of this podcast, in the outro, I'm going to do something new. And I'm going to share an excerpt from my uh, Breaking Normal book that's currently on Audible. In case, uh, for those of you who have not checked it out, we'll see if it can entice you to go ahead and download it. Because I believe if it's your first Audible, it's free. And you may already have credits. And I, I can't really praise audible enough because it's been my go-to library over the years um i've consumed a vast majority of knowledge probably through going on epic hikes getting awesome massages going on walks and doing other activities while listening to audiobooks which is so cool because it's like the distillation of a genius that was willing to live in his dharma usually his or her dharma and report the golden thread of what he or she learned through their lives in um, a downloadable format where nothing has to actually be exchanged. No, Nothing is printed. Nothing is wasted. It's basically allowing your phone to tune into the frequency of that genius for however long you wish. And you can actually fast forward it. You can, I mean, you can uh, listen to it at one and a half speed, two and a half speed, 1.25 speed, whatever. I would encourage you to listen to it at an edgy rate, and this podcast as well. I, I think it's kind of something happens to me when I, I almost focus better. I believe when the information is going so fast that I must pay attention to grasp it. So I'll challenge you all to do this, and I'd be curious what speed is your favorite. And y'all can always reach out to me with a direct message on Instagram. Um, and or Facebook or at my website, Daniel at BreakingNormal.com. You can email me there or go to Breaking Normal, email me through there. And definitely go there because not only do we talk about polyamory, psychedelics, um, God, we also talk about vaccines. And that, surprisingly, was probably the most taboo topic. And Kyle uh, afterwards suggested a podcast if for those that are curious to learn more. Um, and we'll put that in the show notes, which episode that is that he recommended. And y'all, let's keep breaking normal. The time is now. 
as always. And by the way, if you're in Austin, Texas, or if you're anywhere in the world, because we do have the technology where we can click a button and these these other people that are in their genius will transport us around the world. It's like we're living the dreams of our ancestors with this technology that's at our fingertips. I encourage you, once again, take advantage of it now because that's a practice that one gets better at. Or worse at. I believe people get better at deciding or they get better at delaying. So, and yet not deciding is a decision. I encourage you all to choose faith over fear and continue doing that and get really good at it. And think in a limitless way and realize that abundance and miracles are normal. The rest is abnormal. The re- that, that, that's the new normal is this, that abundance is everywhere and that we are infinitely intelligent, divinely brilliant, unavoidable, successful, unique beings directly derived from the creator of the universe. And we have amazing abilities, especially we can feel, I believe we can feel really good when we're amplifying and actualizing those abilities. And sometimes that takes, um, it starts with a leap of faith. So if you feel the call to come out here for our next tribe design, it's in Austin, Texas, an hour north uh, in March 22nd and leading up to it this is not official yet so congratulations to y'all that are listening especially if you're local and ready to take action these last five days we've started our mornings with a tribal training that looked uh, I'll, I'll listen to the podcast to learn more about that but we're basically thinking about inviting people to these breaking normal tribe design micro doses for about three hours and 33 minutes on the next Sundays March 10th and 17th so definitely Keep an eye out for that, or once again, direct message me if, you, if you're if you not able to see that on my Instagram or Facebook or website. All right, before I delay anymore, let's kick it off with Kyle. This is crazy in all the cool ways. I adore alliterations as well. Love y'all. Peace. All right, let's kick it off. <laughs> all right, guys. I feel like it's a new season. It actually feels like it. I'm in Austin, Texas. It's very Spring has sprung, I'd say. And today's guest, I walked out to greet him without my shirt on, and sure enough, he didn't have his shirt on either. And I, I think that's how I first found out about you was like on Instagram, and you were hanging out with like mutual friends, and you're just like this huge, ripped, like glowing guy. And that's so my first impression of Kyle Kingsbury, who's the uh, guest on today's show. And then um, being in Austin, I was living with JP, and you came over to do a podcast with him. And we immediately, I thought, I thought on my end, like, there was a connection because I was, I don't know why it got brought up. I was telling you we're going to Hawaii to go hunting. And you're like, oh, we're going hunting on the Big Island in March or something like that. I was like, what? Okay, that's cool. Um, But anyways, the more I learned about you, the more I'm, like, so fascinated. From what I've heard from friends that listen to you, um, this is a kind of different thing, buzzwords I've heard. The guinea pig for on it. <laughs> yep, that's one. <laughs> um, a UFC fighter, like Formerly, a retired yeah. UFC yeah. fighter. Uh, Aubrey Marcus's right hand man. Um, I don't know Aubrey that well. I just met him at JP's house as well, and one really random. I mean, it wasn't random. It was like divine. One of those cosmic connection appointments. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so that that just gives uh, some of our listeners that's probably enough. If they haven't heard about you, this is going to be a fascinating one. Oh, and one of my friends in particular asked me to ask you, do you have any regiments? So let's just jump right in. Do you have any regiments um, to 
use LSD in an advantageous way, like microdosing LSD in an optimizing way. Yeah. So I, lo- I love it. We're jumping right in. Um, I think they call that a hedonic calendar in uh, Stealing Fire with Jamie Whale and Steve Kotler. I don't have a hedonic calendar. I don't. I like to live. I'm a bit more impromptu. I want to be in the moment. I don't want to do acid because it's acid day. I want to do acid because I feel called to it, right? So uh, with that said, after reading the Psychedelic Explorers Guide by Dr. Jim Fadiman, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He was on uh, the Tim Ferriss Show in 2014. I think he's been on Chris Ryan's and uh, Kyle Tierman's recently, but really fascinating guy. His whole book is on 30 years of research on microdosing. So one of his rules of thumb is you can't take it sooner than every fourth day because the body will downregulate it rapidly. It takes four days for a substance to clear the body. And psychedelics have a built-in component that's very anti-addiction where if you take it very often, you're going to need twice as much, four times as much. I mean, it scales down rapidly. So, But he has a microdosing protocol where every fourth day indefinitely you take LSD. And uh, that can range from a very low dose, like seven micrograms, seven IUs, seven micrograms to 10 to 25. It's just basically whatever is, I think how he describes it is anything under uh, the, the flowers smiling at you and closed eyes, closed eyed visuals would be, would be a microdose. So obviously that changes based on experience and, and size and all those things. But for two months, I did that protocol with my wife and it was fucking awesome. Like I absolutely loved it. Uh, for her, she began to feel like she never really had a sense of reality. Like she couldn't track the days anymore. So that's why we pulled the plug. Um, I could have kept going with that, but you know, as I've stated earlier, like I really do like, you know, I got a day off work and then, and we have, where we're on, we're on deck. We've got enough and, and, uh, we have a fun day planned and the weather's perfect. So we're going to go, uh, hike the Turkey Creek trail or something like that. It's like, yeah, let's do that today. Not like, oh, well we had it yesterday, so we can't now today. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's nice to have that kind of flexibility. And then also to give it space, you know, it is medicine. It's not just because it's man-made and not, uh, you know, a teacher plant per se. It doesn't mean that it's not medicine. So treating it with respect and knowing like, it's better if I actually you know, the experiences improve if I give them time in between. Wow, cool! This yeah, this will I imagine this rabbit trail will keep opening up. Um, so one thing, one detail on that: when you're referring to the every fourth day, would that uh, also pertain to say psilocybin mushrooms? It would be any yeah, any plant medicine, any psychedelic that would certainly pertain to. Um, that said, interestingly, with uh, Paul Stamets, I don't know if you heard him on Rogan's. He's like the mushroom guy. I'm um, a bit familiar, actually. I love I love his uh, Stamets Seven. I think. Yeah, and the host the host yeah. defense company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he's awesome. Uh, definitely, <laughs> I want I want a podcast with him. We met him at Burning Man actually this year. Fantastic guy. But one of the things he says is, you can take it every day as like a brain reset for a month. So 30 days straight. And he goes, by day three, you're not going to feel it at all. But you have 100 milligrams of psilocybin, I think 500 milligrams of cordyceps synesis, which is for ATP production and mitochondrial health, and then 500 milligrams a day of lion's mane, which is really good for neuronal connectivity and, and biogenesis of brain cells. So those three in, in concert together, first thing in the morning, fasted every day for 30 days and Again, it's not so much about the feeling or some type of transformational 
uh, mindset shift or perspective. It's more about like physically changing the nature of your brain. So you have like lasting cures for depression or ways to think differently. Wow. Okay, great. I'm happy I asked. Um, and then you said a day off work and I was like, that kind of, I, for some reason I have the little, I know about your joy of being, I, I think of a job as a joy of being. And if it's not a joy of being from someone, I would question what you're doing. Um, but for you, it sounds like it's a joy of being how would you were telling to me, it sounds like you get paid to play and experiment on optimizing yourself and reporting the results accurately. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, uh, I am the office guinea pig. We learn, um, I get to do everything from biohacks, like building my own cold tub to getting, you know, IV ozone therapy to a number of different things where I, where I try things on my body, intravenous NAD injections, things like that. And then talk about those results, uh, all the way to just getting flown out to do experiences like Burning Man or going to Peru and then reporting back on, you know, everything that I get there. Obviously, you know, we get to go for, for podcast trips and things like that. That's all covered by the work. So that makes it quite a bit easier to get really good guests that I want on. If I can fly to them or fly them out to us, it's a, it's a huge fucking perk. <laughs> like there's no, there's no doubt about it. So meeting interesting people, trying really cool things, and then just talking about it all has been, that's, that's pretty much the deal. It is definitely a joy of being. Yeah. That's something we definitely have in common and I can respect that and feel that from you. And yeah, it seems like you radiate that you're radiating that you're doing what you want to do. And that so happens to be good for you. It seems maybe most of the time and uh, definitely good for the collective. And that being said on all these experiments you've done or been a part of and know or know about, what do you think some of the experiments like the mass collective could do the, like the most underutilized with the most potent effects? Yeah. The best bang for your buck. Yeah, I mean, for look, the collective here, like what can we do? NAD treatments are 300 a pop or more. And what uh, is that? What is an nicotinamide, adenosine, dinucleotide? It's a, it's basically our body secretes this a lot when we're younger, less when we're older. Um, it is, it's a, it really helps with, I mean, I'm going to fuck this up. <laughs> it helps with mitochondria. It helps with longevity, helps with performance and you can feel it. Um, that said, unless you're like a professional athlete or you really have like a medical condition, it might not be the, you know, it's worth your money. A uh, cold tub for 550 bucks that you can use every single day in your garage, that's worth every penny. Free delivery, uh, you get some standard silicone caulking, make sure that the seals are all sealed out, fill it full of water. For 80 bucks on Amazon, you can get a little um, above ground redneck pool pump and just pump it out every couple months when you need to change the water. But you put 16 ounces of hydrogen peroxide in that food grade and a couple bags of Epsom salt and you're good to go. It'll stay between 35 and 55 every day. You only have to plug it in for a few hours a day and it's always ready to go. I mean, I was spending 60 to $80 a day on ice baths to do just to buy the ice, that much in ice to get it that cold. And now, you know, one time investment, then I have access to for sure one of the best things you can do for longevity and performance, which is cold therapy. Yeah, man. Yeah, I talk about it. I, uh, if anyone cares, they can YouTube breaking normal health hack, convert your freezer into a pool for the health of it. And I 
I'd use a freezer. I'd be actually curious. When you say $550 and it's delivered to you, are you speaking about a freezer? Like what? Yeah, a standalone chest freezer. Basically a meat freezer like you'd use for yeah, hunting. Yeah. Um, and it's really cheaper than that. It's that It was that expensive for me because I had to get a giant one. I wanted to be able to lay in it. And so mine's like over 20 cubic feet. But I know 17 and a half cubic feet is significantly less. And most people, if you're under six feet tall, you can for sure fit in under 17 and a half cubic feet. But if you're over six feet, you can definitely do 17 and a half. Yeah, I know our mutual friend Aaron Alexander. He came uh -huh. over to my place in Encinitas, and that's one thing I had set up. Even with the ocean, I still got the. We were like on the street where I was between two surf spots, but I still wanted the freezer, and that's a big deal. I I, I want more people to get into that and to experiment with that. And it sounds like you have a great protocol about it. Uh, today, so we started a new regiment today with a few of my friends, and I'd love for you to join one of the days if you want. We started at my friend's pool, and out he has an outdoor pool and so it's hovering probably about low 50s and we did breath work and then we uh, did a plunge and I stayed in there three minutes that was like my second plunge after doing some other things and that was I'm used to getting in really cold water and getting out uh, much faster like uh, I was in Sun Valley Idaho this summer and that water was around the 40s it was like and it, I would get in and it was actually burn my skin and I was, I was like this is a little in the 40s really this is a little edgy for some reason I you know <laughs> I was like losing feeling more than if I'm in the 50s I got you so I'm wondering what do you today though I did the three minutes and I um and then we actually after that we did some yoga climbing and then we swam at the deep eddy pool okay. so that was a whole regiment from 8 to 12 but I'd love for you to join. Anyone else that's listening in Austin, if you want to join, hit me up. We can see if, how we can fit you in there. It's been really fun the first day. But I felt really lit on the three minutes in the 50-degree water, like in a different way than I felt lit going into the low 40 waters. And what is your ideal polar plunging protocol for yourself? Yeah, you know, I'm not too strict about the temperature. I like, I mean, if it gets to anything above 50, I'm going to plug it in and start to cool it back down. I typically don't want to spend a long time in there, so I'd rather do three minutes in the 30s or 10 minutes in the 40s than do 20 minutes in the 50s. But those are kind of the numbers that I'm at right now. If it's above 50 and I don't have time to cool it down, then I'll just jump in. So you are timing yourself in the water. Yeah, and typically how I'll do that is I have my cell phone and a little you know, Bluetooth speaker in the garage, and I'll just put on like some, some – I mean, I'll set a stopwatch, but for the most part – It'll be like a eight-minute song that I'm going to stay in for the whole thing. Or there will be a song right behind it that's another five, and that will be my 13 minutes. You know, so like I'm doing math based on the audio. And then, uh, you know, they're like like Knuckle Bear, some type of inspirational song where I can really meditate and drop in and have the courage to stay in. And then I get out of that, and I'll, that's when I'll do some Wim Hof breathing and maybe a little rebounding on the trampoline, those kind of things just to get my, my force, my body to make its own energy and heat back up from the inside out, as opposed to going and taking a hot shower or something along okay. those lines. Yeah, man, man, that you are definitely living. You're an optimizer. This is awesome. I, I rarely meet someone. that's <laughs> like gone so in depth into their polar plunging freezing regiment, freezer regiment. So this is cool. Um, so before all this, you were when did like when did you stop fighting in the UFC, and w how long was that career? Because I don't I don't know much about the UFC, and I don't know much about that with you. So just like the coconut shell version of that, I'd love to hear. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I played football at Arizona State. Um, 
had uh, maybe a couple years where I wasn't doing much and then got into fighting and fought professionally for eight years, the last six of which were in the UFC. And then I retired in, in 2014. But fighting was a great catalyst for me to want to learn more because I knew if I could recover faster or dial in my diet a bit better, the weight cut would be easier. So there was a lot of reasons behind wanting to learn. And then from there, I just had this a burning desire to learn and all the things that helped me get the most out of life. A lot of them had to do with performance. So if I could perform better, I felt better in my everyday day to day. And so that still had carryover and translation into regular life after I quit fighting. And, uh, you know, I've just continued to try to learn and try shit that's on the forefront, whatever's out that's cutting edge. And, and really a lot of this stuff is it's old school. It's not anything new. I mean, breath work has been around for thousands of years. Um, but you know, feeling that for, for myself was really like a catalyst of like, Oh, this, this has, this has weight to it. This is something I should really invest in my time and, um, and learn more about. And, you know, when fighting ended, I didn't know what I was going to do. I ended up getting on Rogan's. That's when I started the podcast, those kind of things. But really, the passion's been there all the way through. So that's given me plenty of stuff to, to chew on and talk about. And was there anything that you've learned post-fighting career that you're like, oh, my gosh, I wonder if what if, if I have done this when I all was training? All of it. All of it, man. All of it. I mean, <laughs> the first workout I had with John Wolf at On It, I remember going up to Aubrey and he was like, how's the workout? And I was like, and John Wolf's the master trainer there. He's, I don't even think, I mean, he coaches Lance Armstrong. I don't think he really coaches people anymore. He's more of like a celebrity guy and he's our coaching, all the coaching staff. He's their coach. So he put me through a workout and I was, and it, you know, the, there's mobility baked into it The in the warm up, Like my, my, you got my shoulders moving better than they had in a long time. My neck felt great. And we go through this great workout and I finished and I was like, fuck man, where was this guy <laughs> five, six, seven years ago, you know? But, um, no, I, I mean, it's great because like in any of those situations, like I realize that's part of what I'm sharing. So if people are fighting or doing anything that they, that's their passion right now, they have access to that stuff, you know? And what's cool about podcasts is that we can share information much faster than, you know, waiting to read it after two years of writing it in a book. Awesome. And uh, I know another guy, Mutual, Paul Check, mm -hmm. friend, ally, master. <laughs> he, if I remember correctly, he had, I remember speaking to him about the fighting world. And I think he told me like nine out of 10, this is what I remember. I'm not sure if this is even what he said, but nine out of 10 of the best fighters in the world usually have made, like they hate their dad or they have major issues with their dad. And then um, my personal view of that sport is uh, humbling. I, like I'm intimidated by it. Like, whoa. But the little that I've done, it, I've a DNA or something deep in me gets activated. A primalness. A primalness sort of as I, yesterday I lost sight of Divina for a moment in time at the farmer's market. And I was pretty much that whole, like if it had gone 30 seconds longer, a minute longer, that whole farmer's market would have probably known. They would have all been looking for Davina. Because I, like, I went into this phase of probably zero ego, but I got to get this done right now, all in right now, like 100% effort. And I feel like fighting has, uh, the little fighting I've done got me in that state. Um, does any, does any of that land true to you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just out at Paul's uh, in San Diego at the Heaven House. 
and uh, we did another podcast. I think it was the third time he's been on my show, and then uh, jumped on his brand new podcast, Living in 4D, which I think that'll come out sometime in April. But we we talked quite a bit. You know, he walked me on his podcast. It was two hours long. We walked through the 12 steps of the hero's journey, and we attached, tried to fit all the different pieces of my life into those segments. And, uh, you know, fighting came up. He talked a bit about his fighting career as a boxer on the army team. And, um, yeah, that's something he, he realized too, was a lot of guys have daddy issues, you know, and that's really what they're doing is they're fighting, uh, to know that their dad can't whoop their ass anymore or to know, like, I'm going to beat the fuck out of this guy because of the pain that I have inside, you know? And I don't know that that's, I don't know that it'd be 90%. I mean, I've got a lot of fighters certainly in the UFC who have, um, you know, they're college educated. I see their dads with them all the time. They have a great relationship and, and my dad and I have a great relationship now. We didn't when I was young. Um, that really changed when my parents got divorced when I was 13, you know, he it was much easier to be around him. He was under less stress. So a lot of things there, a lot of healing there. And, and then, uh, you know, but that's not per se why I wanted to fight, you know, really what, what I was trying. I mean, there was a part of me that wanted to fucking destroy people. There's no doubt about that. And then later that kind of turned into me just wanting to be the best version of myself. Yeah. And I think um, for me to be the best version of myself, I think it's important for me to explore rough housing and what that and like physical contact uh, in, a, in a primal way, in a fighting type of way. I would encourage other people if you've never, if I learned that, do you know Rafe Kelly? No. Oh, man, yeah, I went to an event with him and he really, we really roughhoused. Men and women roughhoused together. And that's all actually what I want to make sure that I talk about with you, man and woman. Your lady, are y'all married? What's, uh-huh. okay, yep, what, married. what's her name? Natasha. Natasha. And how long have y'all been married? Um, Three years now. But we've been living together for seven, which really, if you live with someone, that's <laughs> yeah. pretty much fucking See, I've marriage. Been living together for seven <laughs> years. That's awesome. She looks awesome. I don't think I've met her in person. But y'all have a child now, mm-hmm. Bear. That's right. And he's three and a half, you said? Yeah, he'll be four in May. Four, okay. So what did, did anything shift for you internally? Like I, I'm speaking like when, when I fought for the intentionally for the – for the reason to do it, something got activated in me. And same when I saw my daughter get born, something, a new, I started a new season in my life. Did, how did you feel? Yeah, that? no doubt. I mean, people talk about, especially their first child and we're, we're working on number two right now, but, um, it is fucking magical, you know? And like, even her whole pregnancy, like I just had, I was just in awe of, um, how cool it is that she gets to carry life inside her. You know, and knowing that all the science coming out on in the womb, babies being able to feel your energy, being able to feel your desires, being able to feel your feels, right? Like that, those things coming out were like, because of our work with plant medicines and things like that, like I had already seen this a lot and really had seen this from many angles. Um, I did ayahuasca while she was pregnant and got to connect to our son before he was even out. And then, you know, there was times in closing circle in a ceremony where people would say, I remember my parents not wanting me when I was in the womb. Then they relet that in their vision. And it's like, that's a fucking important time. You know, it really is an important time. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny that you're the ohm daddy because I used to do ohms right on the belly for, for bear. And, and uh, I'd play a singing bowl right on her belly and just let that vibration soak in, you know. So, I mean, there, there's a lot there, but 
no doubt, like, when he was born, it was like, why the fuck do they even have Father's Day? Like, it's all mom. It's all mom. They do so much, and it's so, it's it's it's, it's a beautiful thing. But, yeah, there was definitely a shift. Also, in the sense of provider as a man, like, we were living in my mom's detached garage when we had Bear, and it's cool, you know, when you're just a couple of young people going through life and trying fighting and trying all these other things and seeing what pans out. And, you know, I really wasn't making any money in the UFC. And uh, there, it lit a fire into my ass to want to be successful and to want to provide and want to have a home of our own and all those things. So, I mean, there, there's no doubt many changes happened with the birth of our son. Yeah, I like that. Uh, lit, lit a fire under your ass. I definitely, when Deanna told me she was pregnant, I was like, okay, I was like, okay. <laughs> like a, I, something woke up in me and I'm wondering how we can encourage maybe young men that are soon to be fathers because even if, five years from now is soon depending on how you look at it how to activate that within without even like before the conception before it happens and I think a lot of what you're doing is uh, helping people do that for themselves like choosing that activation on a daily basis so thanks for thank thank you thank you for thank doing you. what you're doing, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then uh, what what about how is this all what you're learning? What are you gonna do with Bear? Like, what's the best? What's the, what do you what do you feel like right now is the best way, the best environment, the best thing for Bear? Well, much of what I've gotten, and this has come in ayahuasca, it's come in psilocybin ceremonies, it's 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 come on a microdose of acid, you know, or even in just meditation and breath work, is to play more. So much of life, you know, with the weight of everything and the need to provide and the stress of finances and all this shit going on, we place so much importance on things that are based in fear rather than on how do we get the most out of life. And we get the most out of life not through throwing caution to the wind and eating like shit and getting hammered every weekend, but we we live we get the most out of life by being present and playing more. I mean, that's it. It's play. So for him uh you know me trying to teach him a bunch of things or give him my knowledge and wisdom it's fucking pointless like he's going to learn on his own if he has questions i have i can answer to the best of my ability and and really let him i mean half the time i'll say i don't know you know and that's okay too but really just playing more and being present with him and I mean, he'll slap my cell phone right out of my fucking hand <laughs> and I don't have a case. So, you know, like I, if I'm, if I'm trying to handle emails when I get home from work, like that, that ended very quickly. I know like there's no doubt I can segment my day so that when I f- finally do check out from work, I am fully checked out and there with him. But, um, yeah, what I want to give him now is just play and for him to have those memories of me always playing with him. Cause my best memories with my dad were, him throwing a football for me and my friends for eight hours on a Saturday, you know, like shit like that and showing up to every one of my football games with a big thumbs up for me and not saying much after that, you know, like those things really stand out to me when I think of the positive aspects of, of my childhood. And that's for sure something I can give to him. And it's, you know, it's easier when you don't take shit so serious. It really is. Yeah, I don't know too many serious toddlers <laughs> or serious infants. <laughs> they seem seriously emotional. Oh, like, yeah. That's no one doubt. thing, going from crying to screaming to laughing to sleeping within seconds without getting too caught up caught up about it. That natural flow of energy is quite inspiring for me. 
<laughs> and I saw that there's this video y'all got to check out on his Instagram. What's your Instagram handle? At Kingsboo, K-I-N-G-S-B-U. It's uh, his son, Bear, like, from jumping quite uh, forcefully uh, directly right around to your heart center, <laughs> your stomach and chest area. Just trying to open up those those closed-off chakras. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, chart, like after that, like, he won. He's... He wins, and then he stops, kind of, kind of stops, steps, like really pins your face to the ground, and then gets back on the couch and does it again. And it looked like he did it like eight times in a minute. I was like, "This is a great what yeah. kind of regimen is going. this?" I mean, we had pro that went on for like fifteen minutes. I mean, it went on for like five minutes before we even got a camera. It was just like, wow, uh, he's an animal, you know. Like I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if Bear had anything to do with I was that just naming about him to that, ask. but. Um, What's cool too is that he has balance, and so you know my wife's a yoga teacher and and did her uh, teacher training. She wants to do more, and I think she'd love to do with Amber, as well. But um, you know she'll show him yoga, and and so there was a time where you know he was doing. I think he was in down dog, and then he went to three legged down dog and lifted one leg up and popped the leg over and was kind of opening up the saws. And I was like, wow, bear, good job. And I'm just laying on the ground and he stands up sprints to me and soccer kicks me in the ribs then goes back to doing yoga and i was like this is fucking perfect man, man. Uh, yeah i don't know little, he's got both worlds you're i'm happy you're you because some of those hits i was like how he was stomping on your face i was like i don't know if i could have taken that <laughs> Yeah, we try to coach him that it's just for daddy and uncle. It's not for <laughs> well, it's good to have. Else. Yeah. What a good friend and dad to have, and um, that's very inspiring to play, play more. And, and that might sound foreign to someone. How does someone without a kid, if someone's just listening on, like how can they be more playful? Well, I mean, find something you love. You know, like whatever it is that you really enjoy. Like people, and I talk about this a lot when it comes to fitness and exercise. This is something I learned from. Laird Hamilton and Gabby Reese when I was out with them in, in uh, Malibu is that if it's enjoyable, it's something you'll do. If it's not enjoyable and you're doing it because you have to, you're not going to stick to it. Same thing with diet. You, If you can make healthy food taste good so that you actually enjoy it, you'll keep eating that way. If it's like chicken breast and fucking <laughs> asparagus, you're not going to keep that going. You know That might last a couple of weeks and then you're done. So I think when it comes to um, just actual play. I mean, whether it's with your kids or with yourself, you know, get outdoors, do something that you enjoy, throw the Frisbee around. Like think of what a kid would do on a sunny day, you know, and it doesn't have to be that crazy. It can just be fun. And if I'm at a playground with my son, night, as I'm sure you've seen this, 90% of the parents are just hanging out on their cell phones, like fucking go down a slide, chase them around, play tag, do all the shit you normally would play the monster game. Like 90% of the time we'll go, we'll go to Lady Bird Park and throw Frisbees. And that might be a quarter of the time we spend there. The rest is me chasing him around like a zombie and him running frantically going, no, no. And people are all looking around laughing, you know, and it's like, that's, that's just it. It doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't, whatever the game the child wants to play, that's the game, you know, simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is definitely, it's a great reminder. Having Davina is such a great reminder. Um, and that's why I was also wanting to, if someone doesn't have a Davina or a bear yet, or they're not, they don't have one, it's like, you can still do it on your own, or you can join with someone else, or men, hanging around kids, though, that seems like the ultimate hack, because they're so unobstructed by what other people think, and that wild energy is funny, and Davina, 
which maybe she's living up to her name because she just loves trying on shoes lately. She just wants to just see what all the different <laughs> types of high heels she can walk in on. I'm like, whoa. Um, and then there was something that came up. When I think about Anna and Aubrey, I know there's been a lot uh, from my, like I used to live in Encinitas, California, and that's a big polyamorous culture there. There's like a lot of the people that are doing amazing things. It's a things. hotbed. <laughs> it is a hotbed polyamory. I'm like, hello, you you might be surprised what can happen at a party. <laughs> and um, oh yeah, so when that, I think when I think of Aubrey and on it, I think I've heard a lot of talk back and forth about that. I'm not so emotionally charged about it. I'm just more like curious. Or how is what's your how does well, y'all's relationship fit into there that? There is there is a. There is an idea that on it is a sex cult, you know, <laughs> and I think Aubrey just had a play an article written for him uh, in Playboy. It's really cool, you know. I was a kid I had worked with, younger guy who came out to one of the masterminds, and you know he mentions me in the article. Um, but he talks about that cult, sex cult, you know, aura around on it. I don't really think it's like that. I think the like fucking vast majority of people who work there are monogamous. Aubrey is polyamorous, has been, and very vocal about it. Um, I spoke with JP when he was on the podcast about my wife and I starting open relationship for the first time in our seven year existence about five months ago. Oh, wow. And that's okay. been, um, all the feels, you know, all the work magnified far more than, I mean, it's a conversation we'd had for, for many years prior. Um, but going through with it is a different scenario, you know, and I think, um, it feels good knowing we have the foundation, the seven year foundation that we can build this off of. There's a lot of trust there. Uh, and, uh, and there is a sense of security, but I mean, all sorts of any crack in the relationship gets exposed. So yeah, you know, there, there, there is that part of it, you know, in terms of like, um, the polyamory stuff, like, yeah, there, there's certainly, there's, there's probably more in the company of Onnit that are polyamorous than other companies, but I mean, still vast majority is monogamous. So it's not like this is like, hey, if you get a job here, you're, we're all fucking like it's, 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 <laughs> doesn't work that way. Good, good clarity for future applicants. Seems like a cool <laughs> company to me. I, I love the. Uh, you mentioned Gabby and Laird. And I recently just interviewed Darren Olin. Did you? Yeah, meet man, him? I okay. saw that on your podcast. Yeah. Darren's awesome, superfood hunter. Yeah, and that group is so inspiring to mm -hmm. me. How they all train together, get together, play together, get better together. And I feel like that's what I think of when I think of on it. I'm like, they're doing it here in Texas. Yeah, the Texas with the Austin version. Yeah, that's just it. You know, like even with the funky equipment and stuff, like people look at kettlebells and steel maces and all that, and they're like is it a shtick? Like, are you just trying to do something weird? You know? Oh, like, okay. Okay. I hear you. Like, you know, like you're trying to do barbell, single arm barbell press on a fucking BOSU ball. Like, what is that? You know? But the truth is that's fun. Like you can get into a flow state doing stuff like that. Like uh, you're familiar with animal flow and different things like that. Body weight movements where you kind of move around like a monkey or a gorilla or things of that nature. Like that's, that is a form of play because it's not regimented. It's not like, Oh, I'm going to hit 10 sets of 10 going to the left, then 10 sets of 10 going to the right. And it's like, no, like, like, yeah. Like once I learn all the basic movement mechanics of a kettlebell, I can just pick a lighter weight and play with that thing for 10 minutes straight and not put it down. You know, I could do that with a steel mace. I can get into walking lunges and overhead press and the three sixties and all those things. And like, then it just becomes fun. And that's not the vast majority of my workouts, but if I need like a 10 minute finisher, that's going to fry me. Or if I'm pressed for time, it's really nice to have tools like that. Yeah, yeah. That just today, someone, uh, my friend that I was swimming with, asked me about surfing and like, do you need some real leg power? Like, how much do you train your legs for surfing? 
and I was trying to explain to him, it's more of a stabilization training. It's like being more ready for everything, and it's more than doing squats. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think many squat surfers are doing squats, but they are doing dynamic stabilization, like moves that induce stabilization. So I think, and I, uh, I, I really believe in that creating new movement our movement if we're if our if we're this is a canvas really and we can paint with our bodies we can do all kind it's amazing and uh i before i, I don't want to get too distracted by that because i want to go back to the you, you mentioned five minutes five months since you and your wife mm-hmm. have opened up your relationship in a new context i i'm fine this is very fascinating if you're yeah, cool man. with going of down of course yeah okay so and then, then because i actually had another episode with uh adam roa who's recently we talked about this, and I got detailed about it because I wanted to figure out, like, what is the constraints or what are the boundaries? Do you all have any um, rules? Yeah, and rules. Like, yeah, how, do you, how do you navigate these well, waters? I mean, I think there's, like, a basic understanding that it's not a free-for-all. We do, you know, polyamory, by definition, is, is many loves or more than one love. So it is, like, having... It is having more than one meaningful relationship, which means that I'm going to get to know somebody. I'm going to care about them. Feelings may come up, uh, but ultimately there is only a finite amount of time, especially as parents, you know, and there's not a lot of parents that are doing this. I'm reading a book right now called uh, More Than Two. Highly recommend it. It's an ethical guide to polyamory, as they put it. But, um, you know, I, there's only so much I can give to another relationship because I'm a dad plain and simple. I can't be gone that often. I can maybe do one night a week, maybe two nights a week. Uh, if we're rotating, you know, uh, one night my girl comes over and Tosh gets to spend the night at her boyfriend's and vice versa. That switches that way. Bear is only missing his, one of his parents one night a week. Um, I think that that is okay because of the fact that the people we're bringing in, ideally we want to be tribe with. We want them to have a sense of, of say in the relationship, but also uh, a sense of being a part of the family where they are an auntie or an uncle to bear and really how well they do participating in that and being engaged with him that goes miles for us. So, I mean, my wife's boyfriend is, he's an awesome guy and bear, you know, you know, young kids, they're not going to say they, they care about you or like you. They're not, you couldn't force them to, you know, we met Jim Carrey out at uh, Gabby and Laird's and we were like, okay, give Uncle Jim a hug and Bear wouldn't hug Jim Carrey. And I was like, fucking hug Jim Carrey, you know, but like you can't force that. Whereas with my wife's boyfriend, she's like, I love you, Uncle Christian. Like she, he fucking loves him. You know, it's like, that's a really powerful thing to be able to add that, especially because we don't have family here in Austin. And so, you know, having that tribe of elders and even like in a, as a young man that Bear is, it's really important that he has more than one male role model to look after. And that's something they talk about in the book, Iron John by Robert Bly, like in all those tribal societies. And you can argue about if we were monogamous or not, that's fine. The point is in those societies, the parents oftentimes would, would go work during the day. The grandparents would raise the kids and then afterwards everyone would play, but the kids had options of people to learn from. You know, there was many different male figures for the boys to learn from and offer different perspective. And I think that's, that's really one of the most powerful things that we're bringing to the table right now for our kids is having that. Yeah, man. And I can also see, I I see this, the beauty in that structure. And I also can, as you alluded to earlier, how much of that might bring up 
um, personally, or I don't know if it's continuously or if it's, it fucking seems that way. (laughs) There's, there's times where it's like, it's just, it's like a ceremony that never ends. You know, ayahuasca can be the hardest thing you ever do, but at six to eight hours, it's going to end. You know, like you, you could, we could be on cloud nine. We go to bed, have nightmares about our deepest fears and wake up and we're in an argument, you know, and that happened early on for sure. Um, but all these things just, they just shed light on where we need to work. You know, like we, they shed light on the things we need to work on. One of the things for me has been my own self-esteem, my own self-worth, which I never had an issue with, uh, in a monogamous relationship. It's like, course she loves me that's why she married me you know and of course she's you know she'll be with me forever we're fucking married you know and and those kind of things and it's funny to have that mindset in a monogamous relationship anyways because most marriages don't work out but to be like well we're different we're the whatever the 48 percent or that will succeed all those things I mean it's cool to have that confidence but when you don't have when you're not limiting the options and you really can be with whoever you want to be um it's certainly it certainly can make you look at yourself and be like, fuck man, is she going to leave me? Is he better? Uh, is he bigger? Is <laughs> all the fucking thoughts that go through your head. And I think at the end of that road for each of those things is just a trust and a knowing and a belief in myself, you know, and that's really not an easy thing to get to, but I think understanding what I bring to the table, like I'm dad, number one, number two, uh, I give Tasha life that's she's not going to get with a lot of other people. You know, like I, I give her my love, but also like she I want her to just be mom and to do her when when our kids are in school. I don't want her to have some shitty day job. I want her to be able to do whatever her passions are, learning music, doing yoga, teaching people, being outside in nature, like all that stuff that fills her cup. So there's quite a bit of things that I bring to the table. And if I focus on that rather than on the worry of what I'm not or what the other person is better at than me and, and get into that comparison game, which is never good. Uh, you know, there, there's, there's a right way and a wrong way to do anything. So it, it's really putting pressure on me to be uh, very careful with my thoughts and to really only engage in the ones that are positive and to, to let these other ones just move right through me that are, you know, when that negative mind chatter comes in and the monkey mind starts beating the jealousy drum and all that shit, just, <laughs> ah, just breathing through it and letting it move and realizing that, that there is uh, a level of trust that I have in my wife and in our relationship and, and a knowing that I have of myself and just leaning on that heavily uh, is really critical. Wow. Man, I have heard you mentioned joy. We were talking about joy earlier. We still are. Here we are in joy. And uh, then comparison. I've heard I've heard comparison is the thief of joy. And I would watch out for it. That might be one of those, like you said, let, it, let that one go. Yeah. <laughs> no need to focus on it too much. Yeah. It's a fun game, but it's some people, especially with social, I mean forever, whether it's the billboards or social media or however the press points it or however popularity works, a lot of people, I think, have been caught up in that game for a while. And it's so, to me, distracting to true creativity. It's like if, you're, if I'm comparing myself too much, then where how am I going to focus enough on the pure energy that wants to come through me? Yeah, and that's the other thing. Of, it's like it is one form of distraction. You know, like if I'm paying attention to someone else and their gifts and what they're good at and wondering how I stack up against them, I'm not being present. 
You know, it's like an, it's another way, you know, people always talk about, you know, you live it, you think about the past that you don't want to recreate or you think about the future that you don't want. And that's the negative way we are not in the present moment when we think of past and future, but we're not in the present moment when we compare ourselves. We're off in some make-believe land of who's better, you know, where do I stack up and all those things. And we're not living life at that point. It's just all in a negative form of contemplation. Yeah, and I, I do want to say I realized uh, this is a little bit of the paradoxical nature of it. I think uh, what I'm, what I do is really quick comparisons. Like I love, I love when I find. So if I, I'm actually, I am probably comparing and slash this. I have a chapter in the Breaking Robot called "Judge Your Judgments" because I think we're all making forming opinions all the time, and it's more like now judge that judgment rather than believing it. So I like to like I see you and like you look like you're bigger and stronger than me. That's a quick comparison. And that's, uh, I can now be inspired by that. So I make those kind of comparisons like, oh, that's someone I want to be in the presence of because maybe I'll get bigger and stronger. That's just a real simple one. It goes beyond that. But I know I do that all the time, actually. I make quick comparisons and then I put myself in the way of what I compare to be like a creative conscious force. Yeah. And then you're not dwelling on anything, you <laughs> yeah. know, it's not, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's fun to do like JP. I remember with JP, like I've compared myself so much with JP because we've like hovered around each other and for such a long time in a similar career. And I'm basically my choice is to be really inspired by him and uh, support him <laughs> and like see how we can synergize. But I, he, he like, yeah, anyways, my brother, we talk about this a lot at our events. Jealousy is a big thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's a big, a big conscious, a big collective distraction. Anything on your heart and mind that you want to make sure that we put into this podcast? Nah, nothing's nothing's coming up. I mean, I, I, we covered a lot of good stuff here. We talked about kids, talked about play, talked about joy, talked about open, talked about psychedelics. I mean, we, <laughs> we got some good. I feel like now we we're here. supposed to talk about God. Yeah, we can talk about God. For um, sure. well, yeah, what is God to you? What does that mean to you? Um. I, I mean, I, I grew up going to church, non-denominational. My parents were kind of hippie-ish and didn't really force me to. So when I wanted to stop going, they didn't mind. Um, both of them were avid meditators and you know, just into different things. And my mom, I mean, she, she had a ton of books, a lot of Stephen King books, but also like the, the Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, different things like that, you know. So I always thought there was more and that the standard definition that I was being taught didn't really resonate with me of this white bearded man sitting behind golden gates that judged every move that I made. Um, and in those plant medicine experiences, especially with ayahuasca really felt something different coming through. And what I felt was that God is love and it was just pure unconditional love, not separate from me. Like as Paul Selig says, all is of or nothing is. So, we're fucking all a part of that. It doesn't mean I'm God with a big G, but we are all God. Everything is God. Shit, dog shit is God. Flies are God. Mosquitoes are God. Everything is God. So in that experience, really realizing that all is of or nothing is allows me to see God in everything. And that's, you read the Bhagavad Gita or any of these books, like that's what you're shooting for is to see God in all things and in all people. And it kind of reframes the way I look at the world. Also reframes or reframed my thoughts on 
what happens when I die? Cause I wasn't certain there was parts of me that felt atheist growing up parts of me that didn't really subscribe to heaven and hell per se. Now I see them as more constructs of our own reality, wherever we're at. I'm sure when we leave our bodies, uh, whatever happens next, that there could be the similar construct of heaven and hell, depending on how we perceive wherever we're at. I don't think that changes. So, um, but we can be in fucking heaven or hell right now. You know, plenty of people are absolutely living in hell right now on earth and plenty of others are living in absolute heaven. So, um, but I think just knowing that, that God isn't judging me, we can make mistakes. We're here for a fucking blink of an eye. You know, if you think about, (laughs) I had this come to me in ayahuasca too on reincarnation. I remember somebody saying, I think it was Carl Sagan when he was asked if he believes there's, um, other intelligent life forms in the universe. And he said, if there's not other intelligent life forms, this is an incredible waste of space because of how small earth is in the one galaxy in a fraction of what is beyond contemplation, how big it is. And then maybe there is multiverses and different dimensions and all these things. And it's like, yeah, that is a fucking giant waste of space. Of course there's other intelligent life. Have they visited us? I don't know. But when it comes to thinking about our life here and what we do with it, and it having the weight of eternal separation from God, if we fuck up, like that doesn't resonate with me at all. We're here to make mistakes, to fuck up, to learn, to grow. And through that experience, take something with us where our soul can learn and, and really find ways to grow and learn what it is, you know, but, but I think all that really comes back down to if we only had one life, what an incredible waste of time. You know, time is infinite. This thing is going for for far longer than we've been here. If we got one crack to try to get to Christ consciousness or, or the level of Buddha, um, that also doesn't make much sense to me either. Yeah, definitely beyond sense for me. Make Beyond making sense for me. I, I, I feel like maybe one way to make sense of it is to be in awe of it and to appreciate it and to see what I'm capable of. And yeah, choosing love. And uh, and speaking my truth, and I love that about you. I feel I feel I like you're speaking, arguably pretty bluntly about some topics that are highly controversial for people. Wh- um, have you noticed any of your expressions or media or podcast uh, stirring the pot? Blowback. Yeah. <laughs> like, is there what's the hot topic? Like the red buttons. Are there any buttons you like? You is there anything you don't talk about because it's just too no, ridiculous? I mean, not really. We went. We wanted to wait a while until we had our feet like comfortable with talking about Polly and Aubrey for sure takes a gang of shit online. So I kind of want to avoid social media with, with posts about polyamory because of the fact that I don't think it's the right place. Obviously if you're listening to a podcast and you hear me talking about several things that resonate with you and one or two of them do not typically people who have a good head on their shoulders would be like, Oh, you know what? I'm going to try that cold bath, but I'm not going to let another dude fuck my wife. You know, like, and that's okay. That's, that's totally fine. Like it's not, this isn't me saying this is what I want everyone to do. This is me saying this is something that's helped me and it's, and it's very hard, but it's worth it. You know? So I think when we talk about these things, certainly when we talk about God and religion, the first time I went on Rogan's people came out the fucking woodwork. I didn't realize how many Christian followers he had. And this is not enough. I'm down with Jesus. I'm just not down with religion. And so people came out the woodwork, uh, quoting stuff from the Bible and different things like that. And, you know, my, my mother-in-law is super religious and 
you know, we have a lot of books, a lot of spiritual books. She's like, I, I, I noticed you don't have a Bible on in your library. And, you know, my wife's like, no, we have a Bible. Well, I'll bring it out, you know, if it'll please you, you know, that kind of thing. But like, she doesn't know what the fuck goes on in ayahuasca. She thinks that's the devil working through like, like Bobby Boucher's mom and the water boy, you know, it's like, that's, 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 that's where, what her, where her head is at when it comes to things like that. And I realize there's a, it's just a differing view. So like one of the things that, cause I can speak about things matter of factly, it, but it is my truth. That's what I'm speaking. It's not. I love it. Yeah. Keep it going. It's inspiring. I imagine that's why a lot of people love listening to you. I, I, and I've, uh, I've come to realize that it seems the less I care about what others think, uh, the more they care about what I think. Mm-hmm. And it's not like that. I'm not doing that. I'm not like, oh, this is how I get more people to care about what I think. It just seems to be the result of it. That's the key to getting 100,000 followers on the gram. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, I don't think I got that one. No, I don't either. (laughs) Okay, good. Good. We're both a little confused. Uh, Man, vaccines. What about those? That's been, when I talk about vaccines, whoo, puppy. I'm like, why didn't know that was so charged? Yeah, man. Uh, Fuck. That's one I haven't (laughs) talked about on podcasts yet. Um, You know, it's funny because I, the podcast that I host, the Human Optimization Hour, it's an on it podcast. So even though it's not named the on it podcast any longer, it still is a fucking company podcast. And the things that I talk about, the company's got to be on brand with. Now, Aubrey and I have similar viewpoints on vaccines, but the company as a whole, it would hurt on it. If I went on a rampage talking about uh, vaccine injury and things like that. And at least, I mean, people take shit just for talking about spacing vaccines. Like you fucking idiot. You think you know better than Western medicine. You think you know better vaccines save lives and they get really upset about it. And the truth is, I mean, just, there's a great book, Dr. Thomas Cowan, who was a guest on, uh, on, uh, Ben Greenfield's podcast. Fantastic guy. Uh, Steiner educated. Um, there's this idea from Rudolf Steiner. I think it's called anthro morphic anthroposophic medicine where the body has an innate ability to heal itself and so through that lens i mean steiner was talking about an issue with vaccines 100 100 years ago before they were even out um you know we're, we're going to create a vaccine for everything we're going to create a vaccine for literally everything we have um but this guy thomas county wrote a book called vaccines autoimmunity and the nature of childhood illness fantastic very short read and you can read that and understand like, and he's a fucking medical doctor. So I don't want to hear about other medical doctors. Like, like there are medical doctors that put their careers on the line to do functional medicine and alternative medicine. And they're speaking out about these things. And the, the truth is the vast majority won't be hurt from them, you know, but there will be a good number of people that are. And one of the things that he brings to light is that, you know, you can't really pin autism on any one of those things. But the fact that we have a fucking vaccine for sneezing or for seasonal allergies or any of these things that are going to come out, we're only adding to the level of toxins. You have to have a toxin with whatever said thing is for our body to take it in and it to get into the cell. So in order to create antibodies and have this positive rebound effect that happens from that, you got to get a little wiry and put some things in it that our body should not have injected into it. And I think, uh, you know, that part of the conversation of, can we make vaccines better? I think that's for sure. Yes. Can we take some of these things out that are, that are harmful for sure. 
can we have a better schedule where kids can space it? I think for sure. But most importantly, just understanding that it's your choice. You know, it is your choice. And if your choice is to vaccinate, that's cool. Don't be mad at my choice not to. And if my choice is not to vaccinate, I'm not going to be mad at your choice for vaccinating. You know, so I think I think those are those having that freedom of choice. They don't have that in California anymore. So, I mean, it sucks. Like you want to go to school. They're not giving out exemptions. Um, herd immunity is absolute bullshit. It really is like it, it doesn't fucking exist. Um, that it just doesn't exist. So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, that's a, that's a rabbit hole. And this is, it just feels awkward talking about it right now. Cause I'm sure I'll get some shit online. I, I, I posted something back in the day on Facebook and I don't even on Facebook anymore, but people came out the woodwork talking shit about how dumb I am. And what was cool on the flip side of that is if I got 10 direct messages from people who said there is no question when their children started getting fucked up mentally, it was the day after uh, a huge round of like eight shots in one day or whatever, you know, they were dosing them with. So, you know, space them out. If you're going to do that, look into it, read the book, just, just gain some knowledge. Don't be a sheep. Don't fucking take everyone else's word because it's $30 billion a year. You want to know why a conspiracy is a conspiracy? Follow the fucking money. Simple as that. I mean, there is, it's not the polio vaccine that was given out for free. These are, they're creating new and new, newer and newer vaccines with the purpose of creating profit. And that's, that's really what my take is on it. Well, I can relate, um, especially to the personal message aspect. Deanna and I did a YouTube video. Just we, I talked about what I thought about vaccines, and she talked about it. And if we, were gonna, if we had vaccinated Davina and all this. And, yeah, I was really amazed at how triggered some people got. But I was probably more amazed by the personal messages that sounded very similar to what you said. Like the their reporting, they, the, these parents believe something happened to their children after this when they went to the doctor to get that done, and they were very thankful that we were talking about it, and they had some scary testimonies about it. Yeah, I think there were. I forget the lady who was on Greenfields. Um, she pulled numbers from the CDC, which is public archives, and she was talking about the fact that whenever genetically modified wheat was allowed that year autism skyrocketed. So again, this goes back to not being able to pinpoint it on any one thing. It is this chemical concoction that we're adding to our bodies of children who really don't have the ability. They're not fully grown. They can't process and eliminate waste and shit like we can. And even still the, the frequency is, is too much. So you add that in, you add in glyphosate, which is a known carcinogen that's in Roundup, which is the only reason we modify stuff from Monsanto so they can take more of their Roundup, which has glyphosate in it, and spray the crops. And that's coming through the food supply. So one of the things she mentioned was, you know, the socioeconomical piece of this is that poor people typically have higher rates. And the reason for that would be their diet is probably not as good. They're probably not eating organic food. So if you're going to do those things, just know there are ways you can mitigate the damage. And that's something, if you have done it, I mean, that's another reason why it's charged because it's like, fuck you. I vaccinated my kids. What do you mean? You're not going to vaccinate yours. You know, like, and, and, and you, exactly if you think their right. lives are on the line. Yeah. yeah you know, that's, deal. that's a fucking big deal. Right. So, but guess what? Nobody's dying from fucking chicken pox. We don't live in a third world country. People don't die from measles. 
there hasn't been a case of polio in fucking God knows how long. So, and it's not, it's not because it was eradicated thanks to the vaccine. Nice, man. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, this is, feels like a real organic thread that we're following here um, in this communication. Sounds like what I prayed for, so thank you, man. Hmm. What about that tea? I did want to ask about that. He came in with a drink, and he says he drank this twice a day every day. That's like your jam or something? Yeah, I want to cut back just because uh, I've been going hard on the caffeine with worth work, and that's <laughs> never a good thing to lean on like a crutch. Uh, but yeah, it's organic yerba mate and, um, alpha brain instant, which is a peach flavor and it's just brain juice. I mean, it's, it's awesome. I like that better than coffee because I feel a better brain buzz than coffee. I like how we were finishing so light. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I actually might, I might, this might just be like the commercial break. And then I do, I had one more question back on what we were talking about. Actually the roundup thing specifically, I'm, um, I got highly triggered. I was definitely partnering with a very small amount of mushrooms as I am today in a way. And I saw this guy just like mindlessly spraying the trees, it seemed. And then uh, with look looked like something I didn't want it to be near. Mm-hmm. And this is right next to a playground. Yeah. Like literally on the well, next I mean, the, the fucked up thing too is that playgrounds are sprayed. So it's not, you know, like we're, yeah. we're exposed and then people, you know, people just don't have an idea. 80,000 new chemicals are introduced in the U S every single year, 80,000. And it's very rare that we catch this ahead of time in screening, you know, like just look at our fucking past. DDT was a thing that was cool until it's like, Oh, it's not cool. Right. So, we don't really know. I mean, and this largely has to do with our pay-to-play government. You know, we got big money going in, and they're like, okay, let's get this through. Aspartame is in diet soda. It's in gum. In gum. And, and the one, second you go up <laughs> above 102 degrees, it's a neurotoxin. So when do you go up above 102 degrees? Well, you have a fever. Well, how about when you're working out or in the sauna? Yeah, over 102 degrees internal. So, like, there's there's an issue there with things like that. And it is pay to play. And there's plenty of countries in Northern Europe that don't allow that shit. Aspartame's not allowed in the country. KFC is more prominent in uh, other countries internationally than McDonald's is. And they had to change the Colonel's original recipe because the MSG content was 33 times higher than what the government allowed. So there are governments that look out for their citizens. This is not one of them. So it really does take due diligence in and this learning. way, in this way, I mean, yeah, I, I, I could, we, that's a whole rabbit trail comparing how the government does look out versus doesn't. But this, this, I was highly triggered by these things, with like this scene of this guy spraying it, and and what was it, the glyco? What were you saying? Glyphosate. And how does that pertain to the va- vaccines? Was there a connection? So you were making yeah, there? it how is. Was it? it is the connection was that it is one more chemical that is really hard on the body. So in concert together, if you're eating high levels of glyphosate because you have you're eating inorganic food products. You eat out fast food quite often, and it's not good fast food. Like I think Chipotle is pretty clean. Uh, oddly enough, Chick-fil-A, which is anti-gay, I'm not down with that. They're they're pretty clean. They don't use antibiotics or anything like that. So I mean, there are places you can make it work, but for the most part, if you're eating out a lot, it's shit food, and you're gonna have way more of this compound glyphosate build up in your body. And if you're just so happen to get other things building up in the body, like a high dose vaccine schedule, then those can be an issue. Okay. Okay. And and that, okay. And again, this is a medical doctor. I heard it from, you know, so (laughs) I'm not a fucking doctor. Do your own research. Dissolving illusions is a great book that I read also written by a medical doctor. 
So, you know, it's not like I'm just watching YouTube videos and figuring the shit out or a Netflix special on flat earth. And then, oh, hey, the, the anti-vaccine one came up next. So that's what I'll watch. And this is how I form my opinion on it. Yeah, I, I love looking at the what I would say is like the obvious pink elephant in the room of the culture. And they're like the spraying the trees next to playgrounds. I, I am not I'm not all I'm, I'm asking questions. I want to figure this out. And I love that you're doing your research and encouraging that. I want everyone listening to this to start thinking about these obvious things that are going on like i i still don't know what chemtrails really are i want to do a little bit more understanding of that and then the uh water situation like when i was in washington we were looking for a retreat center that had untreated water and i learned i thought i think of my understanding that every public water supply in washington has to have this uh, white powder added to it like to clean whatever they uh -huh. call it and it, so like we went to a retreat center they have a spring on the street sealed up just forming a little puddle a pond and they're using city water and because it's a public water a public place and that one i'm do you know anything about that because that one highly concerned like what is in white the white powder that cities treat or municipal supplies are treated with and do you what's the common yeah i would love to know what you yeah, know about I mean, there's that. there's a lot of shit in tap water uh chlorine and fluoride being two of the biggest ones you know and and people there's another misconception about fluoride where it's, oh, it strengthens your teeth. And this is the fucking lie we were told for many years. I mean, I, I believe it was the Germans in Nazi Germany that used it as an experiment in uh, the concentration camps. And they found that it made people docile. So I don't know if that's a government conspiracy on why it's in our water supply. Maybe people do think it makes your teeth harder. So maybe because of calf, uh, cavities and things like that, like they're, want to take it a step further to help out the dentist industry like no i don't fucking think so um chlorine not good to ingest so i mean don't drink tap water that's pretty basic but um yeah you know i mean even showering with it like you can buy i think it's called sprite on amazon for 30 bucks you can change out your shower head and make it a filtered shower head so if you don't have a wellspring going to your house you can actually filter out a lot of those things is that's going on your body because we do absorb things through our skin but, um, I mean, we're just, they're everywhere. It doesn't matter where it is. Even the chlorine in the pools, like public pools. That's yeah. why I love Barton Springs. I like, cause yeah. I love swimming. And I, I, then the, in Pacific, I got to surf in California. So what am I going to do in the water here? I want to swim. And, uh, there's pools here that are not untreated from my understanding, like mm -hmm. Barton Springs and Deep Eddy Pool. But most, I'm imagining most public pools are also treated with that white powder, or higher dosages of that white powder. Mm -hmm. And I guess my understanding is for they would say to keep it clean or bacteria level low. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, there's, there, I, I think those are probably the cheapest ways to get that going, you know, yeah. to clean that out. And I think there's reason to have that, but there's also reason to take it a step further and get a home filtration system, things like that, or to buy bottled water that's not in plastic, but glass or, you know, the five gallon jugs, having those delivered. I mean, there's, how do you do your that. water? We have, um, we have an H2 from Trucy. It's a hydrogen water machine. And we just put in, you know, os uh, what is it? Oz, osmosis water, but from, you know, whole foods and the okay. five gallon drums, just to toss those on top. Do you think that whole foods water is tap water or do you think it's, well, I think whatever the filtration reverse osmosis, whatever that filtration system is, I don't think you're getting anything nasty in it. Yeah. You know, I, and Darren Olin actually was a guy that turned me on to really being able to test your own water. And I watched him do quite a bit of water testing in front of me when he was speaking at XBT in Malibu. And, um, 
those are those are good clean sources. You do have to add back in minerals, and that's something Ben Greenfield's really big on. Is we don't have a dehydration pro- problem because people aren't drinking enough water. We have a dehydration process problem because we're not taking in enough electrolytes with it. Like a natural spring might have. Yeah, like a natural, natural spring might have. Or if you're using filter, just adding in a pinch of sea salt. Like that'll go miles for how your body absorbs that. Hmm. Oh yeah, and that. Uh, any? Do you know anything about the water testing? That's something I'm curious about doing. More. I think Den- Darren. Uh, would be Darren a good would know. Yeah, he'd know more with that. Cool. Man, yeah, we could go on for days. I'm now I'm excited just to play. So <laughs> I think I'm good for sitting here. And man, your philosophies and perspectives and your psychology—it's uh, very inspiring. You're a very inspiring individual. I compare you. I compare you to be inspiring. <laughs> so thank you. And that means I'd like to be around you more. So thanks for being here. And um, yeah, man, everyone everyone listening, keep breaking normal. What's the best like resource if people want to learn more about you, the podcast? or would yep, you direct Human people? Optimization Hour podcast, uh, Twitter and Instagram at Kingsboo, K-I-N-G-S-B-U. You can write me on there. If you've got questions, I always answer people. If you talk shit, I block you. I don't have a problem with that. So just <laughs> just a forewarning. Uh, nice. Yeah, happy to answer questions. And then uh, for I have a little dessert for us, if it sounds good to you, because we're approaching the one hour and 11 minute mark. We're at 106. Um, first of all, out of all, you've been around so many inspiring people yourself. Any any top moments with someone that you were just like, wow, this guy or this girl or like, whoa. Yeah, there's been... I mean, I've been able to meet some really fascinating people. Uh, I just went on Duncan Trussell's podcast when I was out in L.A., and he's a guy, a guy that I've really been a fan of. You know, I, I dig his spirituality. I dig the things that he talks about and that he's into, and we had a fucking awesome two-and-a-half-hour podcast. Paul Check has been a guy who's really helped me. Um, he planted the seed for knowing that what I put in my body has a direct impact on how I feel, think, move, and operate. So my life experience there's a direct correlation between every food item, every liquid, every substance, every breath of air. All of that comes from him. Every thought um, really reshaped the way, you know, the amount of control that I have over my outcomes, but also the amount of responsibility that I have to take care of myself. So Paul Cech is is uh, legendary. You know, his book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, was for sure the one thing that planted the seed for me to want to learn more after that, you know, in fighting. Um and, you know, yeah, we've had him on three times. He's awesome. I'll continue to have that guy on as long as he's alive. He's going to be a resource for sure. Um, yeah, nobody else is really coming to mind, you know. I mean, uh, Aubrey's introduced me to great guys. Ted Decker, who wrote The 49th Mystic and Rise of the Mystics, uh, a fictional tale on the true teachings of Christ. Fucking best two books I've read on the subject. Um, really powerful. I got to meet him, Sedona. And just a wizard. Like, he's a guy where I'm hanging on every word he says. I'm taking notes. I'm writing down books. Like, he is just a, a, an incredible human. Parangi, the uh, musician, he'll be out here for South by Southwest coming up in March. Uh, good friends with Aubrey and I. And he's he's just a wizard. You know, he's somebody that, that I really connect with. I've learned a lot from him. He talks a lot about Native American traditions. He's doing a Lakota Sundance right now. Uh, he's guided us in plant medicine ceremonies in the past, and he's just done a whole different level as well. So I've had him on the podcast once. I'll get him back on. But there's, there's just, there's the world is full of really fascinating and amazing people. You just got to find which where you want to put your attention. You know, true that. And that being said, how about if we do a little three minute rapid fire 
Q&A between me and you. Let's do it. Just whatever, whatever. It can be random. It can be anything. Do you want to start? I'll put the timer on. Boom. You want to ask me a question? Yeah. Um, so so how did you get the – you got the, the OM name, dad, the OM daddy name from OMing to your child in the womb? Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, basically that's what we were doing. We were OMing to her in the womb, and then I did a live video – I was doing like a 20 minute live video about just like the experience I was having as being a new dad. And then like around probably like 18 minutes or so, I, she started crying and I owned to her and then she fell asleep <laughs> and every, like all of a sudden I was like, whoa. So I pulled that 42 seconds out and then that's a hundred million, whatever, a hundred million news views, all that later. And then I did a few more versions and they're still, I guess it really is the universal resonance. Yeah, brother. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, I like that. And let me share that. That's awesome. Uh, when was the most pain you've ever been in? Physical pain. Physical pain. Uh, shit. You know, it probably wasn't in fighting. Hmm. Maybe it was. I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, maybe... I mean, I've had my jaw broken, my face broken. There's not a lot of pain there. It's just like shock. Uh, I'd, I'd probably be in like some of the fights, either my last one with Pat Cummins where he just took me down and beat the crap out of me the whole fight, or uh, Glover Teixeira. It's physical, yeah, probably Glover Teixeira. Hmm. Awesome. <laughs> How about you? When is the most physical oh, pain you've been in? Man, the one I remember is like either being at the dentist, like them doing something into my mouth, mm. with, or, and or uh, I remember like really young, I fell, I just was just sprinting down a concrete hill and just scraped my knees right up. Mm. Like remember, I somehow that skin and blood, it might have been, it, it's, to pinpoint it on a physical pain, is, I realize it's kind of tricky when I ask you. Yeah. Because there was also emotional trauma with that. Mm hmm. Yeah, for sure. When's the most bliss you've been in in the last year? Was there when the moment of bliss in the last year? Well, for bliss, uh, fuck, <laughs> for my wife's birthday, we had a threesome with me, her, and her boyfriend, and that was <laughs> that was a peak experience for sure. And to my surprise, no triggers, nothing came up for me where it was like, well, physical at least, uh, you know, like that was that was very nice and uh, no issues performing. So. Uh, which is, you know, th that's a question mark. You don't know what's going to come up. So in any new experience, you don't know what's going to come up. So having a little trust and faith and belief in it goes a long way. But that was a fucking amazing experience for sure. Nice. I think one more to wrap it up if you got one. Um, where do you plan? You guys travel a lot. Where do you plan? Or do you plan on settling down somewhere to raise her when she's in school? Okay, yeah, I'm. I'm more like more than likely. I imagine we'll create some sort of school um, for homeschooling. Okay, yeah, either a homeschooling or a group schooling or a tribal schooling or some sort of like nomadic schooling mm -hmm. or private schooling and or just getting really surprised by a system. That, like if I love like a Waldorf school and uh, I mean I'm I'm open, but yeah. I haven't been I haven't been so inspired by many school systems I've seen yet. If you do. We, my wife and I went to Waldorf for the uh, parent day as like an introductory. You're there for two and a half hours and there is no fucking question. All of my kids are going to go to Waldorf. Like I was blown away and I can't speak for all of them, but Austin Waldorf is just, it was, I was blown away. I was like, uh, can I be like Billy Madison and go back to school? And they're like, well, you get to go through school again through your children. So 
their programming is just incredible. And again, that's that's based on a lot of Rudolf Steiner's teachings. And, and Steiner was a guy, I mean, he's the father of organic biodynamic farming over 100 years ago. He wrote 118 books. He wrote over 118 books, but 118 different topics. Like just truly a wizard who was incredibly dialed in. And um, his offerings on childhood development are like they're the best I've seen. So I'm really excited for Bear to get in there later this year. Oh, yeah, that's um, that felt important. I'm happy. That's sound, hey, keep breaking normal. Thank you, Kyle. Awesome, brother. <laughs> yeah. This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. All right. Wow. I trust that gave y'all a lot to think about, to feel about, and really catalyze more questions than answers. I'm quite suspicious of people that pretend or actually have convinced themselves they know the answers for other people. I'm still um, exploring the questions for myself, much less trying to project answers onto y'all. And that being said, if you want to really see me dive deep into the golden thread of life and what's possible and the patterns that I've seen that seem to be the self-imposed prisons for people around the world, regardless of their sex or their age or their job, throughout the 10 years or so of experiences I've been uh, facilitating these retreats, I pretty much highlight it in my book, Breaking Normal. So I'm going to give you an excerpt of that now, and yeah, please leave a review for this podcast and the book. Rate, review, subscribe, share it, at least tell one friend. Um, I, I, this is... This information is just a click of a button away, and I believe this knowledge can really catalyze action and create wisdom for more of the wisdom keepers around the world, which includes you, so that we all can live a better life. I think what we're struggling with personally um, may be indicative of what the collective is struggling with, aka what's most personal is most universal. So, man, when in need, plant a seed. If you feel like you need help, go give it. Maybe you need help financially. Well, go give it financially. Go spend time around people that are doing better than you and then go spend time with people that understand less than you and give to them generously, whether it's a work or a gift or money or time or attention. What's more valuable than attention? It's what babies want and it's what most corporations and news are experts at getting. So let's break that normal and start amplifying our awareness and our ability to receive attention because we want to show off our geniuses. All right, enjoy this excerpt, and I'd love to see your review on uh, The Breaking Normal on Audible or Amazon and on this podcast. Let's stay in touch. Reach out to me, breakingnormal.com. Much love, y'all. Peace in. If the first sign of shame is hiding, the first step out of shame is not hiding. Chapter 6. Feature Your Flaws Disclaimer. I've facilitated this exercise a handful of times in the mixed company of men and women. As my wife's and my relationship evolved, we currently feel complete with this particular exercise. We no longer practice this at our events either. With that said... Given how much I believe in the liberating power of this exercise and the miraculous transformations I've seen through this process, I feel it is integral for me to include this section for you to decide how it may or may not fit into your healing.
For a final hearts up, this process has the ability to catalyze immense amounts of suppressed emotions to surface in a heartbeat. If you feel the call to participate or facilitate, consider starting with a group of your same sex and or teaming up with professionals that understand the depth of what this can bring up. What better way to follow up this progression of bearing all than to actually get naked? This exercise might be a one-offer, something you do just once in your life and reap the benefits of for the rest of your days. Like the other exercises, the genius is in its simplicity. We get naked and look at each other's bodies, and after a while, we talk about them. I've seen the shyest, most timid, and insecure of people transform in under five minutes. I've seen the light come back in their eyes. I've seen women cry and shake and struggle to take off their clothes, as though invisible shackles were preventing them from doing so, only to jump around naked and ecstatic moments later. From inside the Matrix, this probably sounds crazy or perverted. It's a good thing, then, that we're not in the Matrix, but rather on the path of discovery. To us, crazy is a compliment, because what commonly goes by normal is from another perspective, pretty absurd. What is perverted about something we all share in common? We all have bodies. There's no way around it. So why should it be normal to feel shame about them or to think there's something wrong with them, meaning there's something wrong with us if they don't look a certain way? Why is it normal to put so much energy into neurotically hiding our bodies from other people, dressing up in order to fit in? If we all have butts and we all go poop, why are we so compulsively private about it, sneaking away to do it out of sight and covering up our scent afterward? Why, if we all have penises and vaginas, does typing those words bring up some resistance in me, as I imagine reading those words brings up some resistance in you? So you're promoting nudism? We are not promoting nudism, nor are we condemning it. We are leveraging a taboo our culture has around the body in order to awaken the spirit that lives within it, or, in some cases, the spirit that is trapped within it. Some of us got so hung up in the past on our physical appearance and games of comparison that we wrecked our self-confidence and became alienated from ourselves. The sooner we get over all that, the sooner we get out of our own way. If the first sign of shame is hiding, the first step out of shame is not hiding. For Adam and Eve, that means removing the fig leaves and stepping out of the shadows. For us, it means taking our clothes off, wiping away the mask and makeup, and exposing the parts of our bodies we are most self-conscious about. If you can't put your naked self out there, how will you put your work or ideas out there? How will you accept and promote yourself if you think yourself is something that needs to be hidden, covered up, or packaged appropriately according to the likes and dislikes of others. Rarely is anyone ready for this exercise. As soon as we announce it, people seem to get jittery. Now, we're, we're going to do it right now, but yes, right now. No one is required to participate, but even the skeptics linger. A part of their mind is sounding the alarm, telling them to run and hide. Another part is curious and says, wait a minute. After all, how often do we have the opportunity to see a bunch of strangers naked in real life? How often do we see anyone naked in our day-to-day -day life, especially in a non-pornographic, non-sexual way? 
How often do we get naked in front of others? For a lot of us, the answer is never, or at least not for a long time since the innocence of our early years. Maybe we catch a glimpse of our own nakedness for a hot second before and after our morning shower, but after that it's into a uniform based on our social function or some image we want to project. The uniform reinforces a function-based identity, or FBI. The naked exercise is effective because the mere mention of it, even before the clothes come off, produces a litany of feelings. Everything from flushed cheeks to queasy stomachs to chattering teeth. Some people begin to shake. Others, feeling the sudden urge to pee, sneak away out of sight. Our palms sweat, our hearts pound. It's a scary step. Many people are insecure about their bodies, almost as if they're ashamed to have one. They worry that people will judge. They worry they are ugly, fat, flawed, pasty, pimply, dark, different, abnormal, and overall undesirable. As a man, having just got out of cold water, you might think your manhood will appear smaller than normal. As a woman, you might feel acutely self-conscious of your problem areas, and having internalized years of commercials and magazines, tell yourself they make you less beautiful. But either way, man or woman, it can be scary to reveal yourself in front of others. What will they think of you based on your human body suit? Will they judge you as ugly or unworthy? Will they reject you or make fun of you? To be naked in front of other people is to let them see you as you are, rather than who you pretend to be. A lot of us fear that who we are is too much or not enough. Those fears are not bad. They heighten the contrast, raise your awareness, and give the exercise more power. It's about observing those fears, feeling them, and going forward anyway. That's how you find freedom. Just like polar plunging, you can breathe deep and still get in the water, or in this case, naked. The first time I did it, the amount of adrenaline pumping through my body made me feel like I could flip a car. I felt cold and shaky, and yet, like everyone else, I tried to stand there nonchalant. What I noticed, though, was that the harder we all tried to act natural, the funnier and the more foolish we actually looked. There we were, butt naked among strangers we'd only recently met, averting our eyes from one another, but reluctantly interested, but trying to act like we weren't. All we really wanted to do was check out everyone's body, especially their private parts, to see what they were like compared with ours. Within about five seconds of having our clothes off, we had made a map of these comparisons and ranked ourselves among them. It's interesting. As long as we had a clothes on, we could talk and laugh and interact with one another. We could do handstands and give hugs or high fives. As soon as the clothes came off, however, as soon as we got naked, suddenly we could barely look at one another. It felt somehow weird. For a full minute, it was quiet and what some might call awkward. No one spoke. No one made eye contact. We didn't look because, well, we couldn't see. Our vision was clouded with the pictures our minds projected, stories of our flaws and inadequacies. Literally, we couldn't get over ourselves. For me, those flaws start <clears throat> started with my feet. They're flat. In the past, I thought they were ugly, and I was self-conscious about showing them to other people. They kind of look like hobbit feet, and I guess I thought they made me look unathletic or something. Next were my legs, 